Hello and welcome to Gravitas Wins Conversations. Today, I'm happy to be with Mohan Matthew. He's a very good friend and a management consultant. Today, we are going to talk about management consultancy, how COVID has affected management consultancy, and how anybody can get into management consultancy. Let's get started. Hey, Mohan, welcome to the conversation. Hey, thanks, Joseph. Uh, happy to be here. Welcome, welcome. And uh, thank you very much uh, because you are taking this during your vacation. So I'm grateful for that as well. Yeah, my, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Tell me about your management consultant's journey. How did you get into it? What you learned? And what are you looking forward to? So, uh, Joseph, thanks for having me here. I, I know it's been uh, great knowing you for the past 25 plus years. So I'm happy to be part of this uh, show and uh, share some of my perspectives on management consultancy. So if you really ask me my journey, my if I reflect my past and my career, you know, it's been 20 plus years of, uh, you know, consulting in some form or shape, right? Mm -hmm. But really thinking about management consultancy as a core uh, competency, I would say it was the year when I joined this uh, consulting firm, the big four consulting firm in the year 2011, Jan 2011 to be precise. So it's been, uh, you know, 10 plus years. Um, it's It's been a great journey. If you ask me, how is this different from the past IT consulting work that I was doing? I, I would say, you know, there are vast differences in the way, you know, normal consulting, IT consulting organizations work versus how a management consultancy firm works, right? Primarily because there, I would say there are a couple of factors. One is the breadth and depth uh, of the management consultancy firm that brings to bear is vastly different, right? So no matter which industry or which vertical or horizontal you want to go, big four consulting firms have got it all figured out. They have the expertise, they mm -hmm. have the subject matter expertise, mm -hmm. and they have all the war stories, right? That they've mm. been there, done that, right? So that's that's a clearly a um, differentiator. The second thing I would say is based on all the vast experiences of you know, many, many years of cons management consultancy, the big four consulting firms have, you know, developed frameworks and processes that mm. give them a huge jump start, right? So it's mm. not that every problem that we come across with our clients, we have a solution for it, but at least we have a starting point, right? A framework mm. that we can leverage and they can make tweaks um, based on the very unique bespoke requirements of our clients, right? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. And uh, what do you think is the future either for you, you have already made a pivot from IT consulting into management consulting. So do you think you will pivot into something else or even in management consultancy also, what do you think it's going to happen? It's a, it's a, it's a great question, right? And uh, often, very often, I always reflect on this one particular uh, question that I ask myself. Do I see myself doing this, um, you know, for the next 15, 20 years, or do I see myself going back to industry, right, and mm -hmm. applying the all the learnings and the experiences? And I, I would say, you know, it's a difficult uh, decision, right? At the end of the day, 
I, yeah. I you tr- truly, um, you know, accept and acknowledge all the challenges that I come across on a daily basis working with our clients. And I'm not sure if I come across, if I will come across those same kind of, no, you know, different challenges on a day-to-day basis as if I was in industry. So it's always, a, you know, a, it's up for debate. But right now, I absolutely love being a management consultant. You know, it's uh, it's truly a very rewarding experience. Um, okay. Okay. So both in your ID consulting or in management consulting, and maybe we will pin down on the management consulting, what makes a moment the best of the moment you enjoy? And what makes it, oh my God, I want to get out of this, the worst moment? So let me see if, uh, you know, let me try and answer this question being very politically correct, right? I think the the best part of the work that I truly enjoy is, uh, is the people aspect of it, right? So when I say the people mm-hmm. aspect of it, there are two, uh, two angles, right? One is the, the clients that you're working with and two, the mm-hmm. people that you are working with that you bring together uh, to address mm. clients' problems, right? So for me, the people aspect is very, very important, right? And as a firm, in my firm, we also stress a lot of importance on on people and relationships. And, you know, I think that's what really makes us unique in terms of how we're mm-hmm. able to connect and relate to people, right? Because at the end of the mm-hmm. day, you know, they're, we're all humans, right? Mm. Our clients are humans, we are humans, and it's truly connecting at that human level makes a huge mm. difference, right? So the, I think that's, Correct. I think it's, uh, it's by far the one of the most important aspects uh, for me. Mm-hmm. So that makes it best. That, um, that is wh- by far, I would say, it was the clear standard, right? And of yeah, course, yeah. Uh, all the uh, the challenges that we face and the, the creative solutions and all that that's that always keeps me going because you know mm-hmm. I every challenge is unique, right? Every um, mm. we have have seen flavors of it, but I think um, you know at the end mm. of the day, every client have their own bespoke uh, challenge that they're trying to solve, right? So yeah. I think yeah. that always keeps you on your toes, right? That's uh, that's one thing that really, truly, truly motivates me to f- really figure out, okay, go to the drawing board, right? And, you know, you may have a starting point or some baseline to fall back on, but you need to be creative and think about creative ways to solve for it. Okay. The, and- the worst aspect... Uh, maybe not, you know, worst is maybe a too extreme word, but I think there are, you know, mm-hmm. certain things that go along with, you know, the flip side of management consultancy, right? Is uh, striking that work-life balance. And sometimes, and I fall into this mm-hmm. trap all the time, right? Is, uh, you know, truly finding that right balance. And sometimes, you know, you mm-hmm. get so carried away in your work that you know you you truly lose focus on your uh, on your personal life and sometimes you know mm. that can be a little i would say uh, damaging right to to your own personal relationships with the family with your kids you know that that is, i would say is the flip side 
Okay, thanks. Uh, you you already said whenever you are going into a management consulting assignment, you have certain frameworks and processes to start kickstart that particular thing. Now, walk us through how a normal engagement goes through. Say, for example, the best of the management consultancy engagement that goes through. How do you start? How do you approach? And when do you say, okay, this is over? Because the the problems, as you said, everybody's problem is very different. And and I'm assuming it's going to be, it's not a one-day affair that you go. It's going to be a couple of months. And in that time, new problems are going to come in. So is there kind of an end to an engagement or is it continuously it grows? Typically, what I would say, uh, Joseph, is when we are called for uh, to help with an engagement, it's typically for a given problem statement that we're trying to solve for, right? Okay. Most often than not, I would say, that our clients have a problem statement defined. In some mm-hmm. cases, they may not have a clearly defined problem statement because they're still mm-hmm. trying to figure it out on um, by themselves as to what they should really what really is the problem statement. Now they know that mm-hmm. there is a problem, there, there, there's an issue that mm. they're trying to deal with, but they're not able to pinpoint, right? Specifically where mm-hmm. the real root cause is, right? So in cases, let's say, take the instance where we have a clearly defined problem statement. And I'm mm-hmm. also going to make an assumption here that we, have, yeah, we yeah. are the only ones who have right now been called to help the client, right? So I'm making yeah. that assumption. Uh, what we do need to know is now, once we hear the problem statement from our clients, we need to validate right that problem statement in terms of you know speaking to our executives the executive teams or the senior leadership team to probe um, those areas right so what i would say this is where i would call it a mobilization phase where we actually sit down and validate with our clients what they're actually trying to solve for right so we get a little Mm -hmm. more information out of that during that phase um, you can call it phase zero or mobilization phase where we actually, you know, get into a little more detail and try to gather mm-hmm. as many data points as possible for us to validate, okay, do we have all the data points we need to start the engagement? And if we don't, mm-hmm. what are all the data points we would need to collect um, to further mm-hmm. refine and get to the outcomes we need for that engagement? So that's the okay. genesis of how, how you're starting. Mm. Once you have that mobilization phase completed, then we know for sure what we are trying to achieve in terms of uh, if it's an MVP or if it's uh, an outcome, a business outcome or a technology outcome that we're trying to get out. So, so we know what we're hitting, uh, uh, what mark we need to hit. So we know okay. uh, in term, what are the steps we need to take now, they, they may be, you know, iterative. There may be an iterative situation where we may go back and to your point, right? We may be getting mm-hmm. more additional data points as we're going through this exercise. So we have to be mm-hmm. very iterative in some cases, right? To make sure that we are taking in all the inputs iteratively. And as we're, mm-hmm. those data points come in, we're factoring that in our, in our uh, frameworks, in our data point analysis and all that and to come up with the outcomes, right? To make a hypothesis yeah. or recommendations for the client. Okay. Now, 
so you like customer is giving you a problem statement mm-hmm. and when you go in you lack the context you lack why that particular problem happened is the employees the cause is the market the cause is the senior executive team the cause the leadership vision is the cause you lack that particular context and some of this the context you may not be able to derive it by just asking questions lot of it might be observable uh, aspects it may not be that you can pick it out from asking questions so how do you bridge this particular lack of context and the problem statement how do you bridge that so there there are a couple of ways right in um, our initial hypothesis is to first talk, engage with our clients right through interviews and okay. workshops and talking to the people uh, who are actually you know in the weeds trying to get the data points so so just not talking to the exact level in the senior leadership but also talking to the to the layers of mm. uh, the organization where the actual work is happening right so sometimes you may mm-hmm. get conflicting messages right uh, you may mm-hmm. get a message from your top uh, leadership team but when you talk to the you know the team that actually is executing on the ground it may be a completely different message that you're getting so we have to take in all those data points but to your point right sometimes it may be um a client um that we have not worked with in the past right but it may mm-hmm. be an industry that we have very good exposure so in that mm. case is to bridge the gap that you're talking about we bring in our industry experts right the, the industry mm. experts who have been and done that in the industry to gather uh, their perspectives right their insights mm. of what uh, war stories that the wars i i will keep going back to the this concept of war stories quite often during during today's uh, and i I'll, i'll say why it is relevant because it is the war stories actually right mm. truly truly you know see um validate our case with the clients right that's how they know we have done that many times before we have shed blood sweat and tears right uh, having done that so it's that very personal use cases or case studies when we related to the client that they know that we know what we're talking about right so the mm. team actually on the ground may may not have all the contacts but we bring the right people right bring the right team to the with a group of subject matter experts who are always feeding in the right information the subject matter expertise to the project team on the ground we bridge that gap and they are you know always involved in the project right making sure that we're in ahead in the right direction that we're taking in all the right inputs from various stakeholders whether that's within our company or within the client's organization so that's how you know, we bridge the gap okay so it is end of day it is the people who make the difference whether on your side or on the other that's side correct. okay so you talked about war stories so can you go a little deeper into it what do you mean by war stories and uh, if you can share any one it is good and why is that important yeah so the many times we when we're called to solve for client problems right it's it's varied um, outcomes that we're trying to get to sometimes you know it affects people sometimes it affects the business processes you know you know so it has 
far-reaching effects, right? Yes. So when I talk about war stories, you know, there there are certain elements where you come across where you may have uh, pushback from from the clients, right? From the teams who actually, you know, because you're trying to come into an organization and talk to them about what problem they are trying to solve for them, right? So it, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be a very ag- aggressive environment, right? So mm-hmm. you. Uh, th- this is where I go back to the point about building relationships, right? Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we as consultants have to be empathetic, uh, the, uh, have the empathy, right, with the people that we're dealing with, because we're all humans at the end of the day. And once you're able to build that relationship and establish the trust, saying that you're here to solve for the good for the organization, which will benefit everybody, right? Uh, mm-hmm. employees yeah. at all levels right and that's when we actually make that transition from being a very aggressive environment to a very actually congenial environment where they actually you know come forth with more information which actually helps us right uh, and uh, truly that partnership uh, is what mm. um, gets us to the successful outcome and right? when we don't have that partnership and we don't have that relationship built up front, it's, it's very, very difficult um, to get to the outcomes we need. Okay. So, okay, you, you, we talked about how you come in, how you do, and uh, what's the process and everything. Sometimes the conclusions that you make may not be accept- acceptable to some of the layers of your clients. Now, it might be acceptable to the employees. It may not be acceptable to the executive team. It might be acceptable to the executive team, but may not be to some of the other uh, members. How do you, again, sell your solution? Do you have to sell the solution or you say, okay, you know what? We have gone through all of this. This is our recommendation and conclusion. This is what you need to do. Yeah, and this is where I would say our um, research and analysis plays a huge part. Right? Because they're not mm. making recommendations or suggestions or improvements to processes um, out of thin air, right? This is where mm. we have to show our clients what was the data and the inputs that went into this process, what amount of uh, analysis we were able to do, how many people or departments we were able to interview and collect data points. So we have, do we have a good sampling size of data across the organization or the business unit that we're trying to solve for, right? As long as they were able to show them all those uh, evidence mm. right, that we have actually done our due diligence to gather all the data points that we need to come up with these set of recommendations. I think if, if you're not able to prove that, to our to mm. our clients saying that we have done the right due diligence the, the right level of depth in terms of collecting data points then it's always a hard conversation right because then whatever you're presenting in terms of recommendations or process improvements you, you're always going to get pushback and they always question mm. it as to how did you arrive at this right but uh, mm-hmm. backing our recommendations and process improvements or whatever the case may be with hard empirical evidence um, usually, you know, gets us gets okay. us past that. Okay, so there is data, 
and you have done all of the research, you have talked to people, you've gotten all of this data. But what my experience, again, you can correct me, my experience is data alone do not convince people. So yes, you are presenting it, but do you use any other technique, any other forms in which you, in the way that you present the data so that it is acceptable? That's a great question, Joseph. And I'm glad you asked that question because you could have a, a slide with 100 data points. But if you're not able to communicate the so what mm, to the client, mm, mm, then you have lost mm, the client, right? Because mm, then the numbers and the data points don't mean anything, mm, right? So this is where presenting the, uh, the information or the message back to the clients with a so what, uh, so asking yourself always, what does this do for me? Like, what is the so what mm. of this, right? That messaging is key because if you don't mm. message the information back to the clients in, in a way that's easily consumable, uh, then you have lost the client. So you may have 100,000 mm. data points, but that, that means nothing at the end of the day. So mm. it's all about mm. messaging the right message that needs to come across to the clients, right? Um, because if, as long as you hit those key notes, these key messages, mm. you know, it could just be one line um, on a slide. That's all you need to put in, right? If, and you can win our, the clients with those key messages. But if you don't get them with the, one, the couple of key messages, uh, then you've yeah. lost the client. It, you, it doesn't matter if you have all the data points to back your statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, how can anyone get into management consultancy? Is there any kind of a prerequisite? So I would say, you know, the key skills for successful consultants, management consultants is, you know, having good, I would... These are my uh, top priority, the way I list them, right? Is to have good um, analytical skills, you know, be able to look at data. That's one aspect. The other aspect is, you know, the desire to learn, to look at trends in the industry, mm. to see what is happening, right? Also looking, mm. looking at all the frameworks and processes we have, but in addition, because things are constantly changing in the industry. So you mm. always need mm -hmm. to be, you know, having that desire to go and look up and trends and what's happening in the industry. What are the disruptors, right? What are the enablers in the industry that's happening? Um, so that's, I think it's a key skill for a good consultant. And, and third is having a good attitude um, because attitude goes a long way, right? Because if you don't have the right attitude, you might be the sharpest um, brain, yeah. right? Uh, but if you don't have a good attitude, you're not going to be a successful uh, consultant because at the end of the day, you're working with people, you're, you're a team, right? Because not one person is going to make or break a, a project. It is a team that collectively comes together to deliver, right? So you need to be a good team player. Uh, the other aspect I would say for a good uh, management consultant is the good communication skills, right? Both mm. written and oral. So how do you go about messaging, right? Um, do, it's basically building a story right? and telling a story back to the client, right? 
so how are you effectively communicate that to back the client? The so what, right? Every mm. every slide where that you create, the so what should pop out. So yeah. the other thing is, uh, how how does one get into a consulting? Right? Yeah. So the, the cons- consulting firms, as you know, the big big four consulting firms, they do a lot of hiring straight out of schools, right? Co- colleges, right? Mm-hmm. From undergrads and business schools. But there's also a lot of hiring that happens from experienced hires. So you may have mm-hmm. one, two, three, 10, 15 years of experience. We do a lot of hiring from, you know, in the industry from experienced hires as well. So as long as you, you know, constantly, if you go and check any of the consulting from career website, you would see the type of skill set they're looking for. And if you meet those criteria, you know, they are more than willing to talk to you. The recruiters will get on the phone, talk to you, and get you through the interview process, right? So they're always looking for these key things, these key messages I talked to you about, you know, about yeah, yeah. the attitude, about the skills, you know, how how would, would this person make a good consultant, a good team player, right? It, yeah. Okay. So you talked about one of the thing being the curiosity to learn you, because the information is changing, the process is changing, the industry is changing. So I'm assuming your laptop should have ton of information at any given point in time about any topic. How do you, when you get into a consultancy engagement, how do you gather that information? You know that something is there, some white paper I read, some industry research report I had. So how do you organize your information? How do you find that information? And how do you also share information? Say, say for example, I'm assuming your company will have a large database of all of this information. So how do you pick those information as well? So how do you do that? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. So I think the big four big firms the big management consulting firms it's all the the past experience the access to that experience right so Mm. we do have our internal uh, sites intranet sites where Mm -hmm. anyone can go and search for a keyword and tons Mm. of information from past projects will pop up right and Mm. you can sort it by date relevance by industry so many other keywords. So the access to information is readily available. So you, you mm-hmm. know, you you can start with just your internal, um, you know, databases first, and then you know, if you need more data points, then we can go to our industry benchmark studies and others, right? Where we can always gather additional information. But in terms of mm. resources that's readily available to consultants, you know. Um, internal database is a great great starting point and gives you a ton of information in terms of how do you organize yourself and structure i think it's a it's a very personal choice because i, I know people like you uh, are the at the zen level right of, of digital of what do you call the digital brain and i'll talk i'll come to it i think later on in the study i think that's one of the most fascinating things that i've learned personally from you is how do you create that digital brain, right? How do you connect the dots? Yeah. Um, information is fastly approaching against you. How do you, you know, organize and gather those thoughts so that you can tap back into those 
you know the digital brain at any given point in the future very quickly where you know without a lot of mm. we're going through 100 folders in, in your laptop <laughs> right but that's something that I'm, I'm i'm learning and i'm learning from you quite a bit uh, on that so okay thanks to you thanks yeah uh the covid has affected almost all the industries so I'm assuming it has affected the management consultancy, but also your clients. So I know we are going through this particular phase, so we still don't know all the effects that COVID has. But in your opinion, in the last two years or so, how has COVID affected management consultancy? How has it changed the focus of organizations and the way that you are handling? And, and as you rightly said, like, it's all about people and people management. But now you are not meeting people face to face. So how are you handling all of these things? Yeah, it's a, it's a real problem, right? Uh, that all companies throughout the world have uh, faced with COVID, right? It's completely disrupted the way how companies operate today and more mm. so for consulting firms because, you know, one of the key enablers for us as consultants is having to work with clients face to face mm. um, on a on a weekly basis because we you know before covid we all used to travel on a weekly basis monday through thursday you know most firms uh, big firms do that but having lost that connection right that personal connection face to face connection was a big uh, disruptor both for our clients and for ourselves right because that was mm-hmm. completely throwing us off in terms of how we operate, how we engage, right? So that that was uh, initially, I would say, a big, big uh, thing to overcome for both our clients and us. But once it became the norm, right, the, mm-hmm. the, the whole notion of physical space, um, you know, being in close proximity, all that went out the window, right? And mm. then it, it all became, how do you then connect, right? Create that virtual space, still call it, you know, in the physical realm, but you know, doing that in a virtual world, right? And lo and behold, now with, I would say, about close to two years now of working in this environment, yeah. we all have figured it out, right? I, and I would go back and even talk about my a six-year-old son who was in first grade, he went through that in elementary school, uh, kindergarten, right? And yes. I'm saying right from people in, from that age group on till, you know, the, the big um, big consultancy firms or big organizations, right, they uh, have figured it out, um, working in a virtual world, how to connect with people, so there are a lot, a lot of uh, factors now that are coming in in the post-COVID world, right? The importance mm. of employee well-being is first and foremost because, you know, mm. working in this virtual environment, you know, we have to be absolutely, it's paramount that we take care of our employees, right? And we look for their well-being. So that's, I think top and foremost for all companies, not just consulting firms, it's for any organization. All of our clients are talking about this as the top priority, right? Making sure that our Mm. employees 
um, well-being is taken care of, right? The mental health, mental health as well as the physical health, right? Because the virtual world mm, mm. has led to employees putting in a lot more hours. They're being a lot more productive, but it's also they are yep. also taking it upon themselves to, you know, be you know helping out the organizations by being putting on more hours and, and helping the organizations out. But in, in the flip side, it could affect their you know, mental health or physical health. So mental. taking care of employees is paramount. But what we are also seeing in this post-COVID world is that the productivity has increased instead of the mm. other way down. And the other way around, well, in the beginning, people are thinking, oh my goodness, our productivity levels are going to go down. We're not going to be able to effectively engage with our clients and deliver the work. That's gone out the window. You know, data yep. proves that actually clients and uh, companies are now getting all more all the more productive working in a virtual world so i think the mm-hmm. disruption has happened in terms of uh, the w- working in the new post-covid world right now people are completely reinventing how they engage with employees in the future so a lot of companies have now come at come out with hybrid working policies. So it's completely yeah. disrupted and changed the way companies look at, you know, employees being physically located in an office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how are you taking care of your uh, mental health? Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, on the flip side, what I, what I would say, what COVID has done is really helped, given us that opportunity to spend more time with family. So I think that's mm. a huge plus. Um, you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, when you, you know, when you're done with work, uh, that ability to spend time with your family, you know, day in and day out, which was not the case before pre-COVID, where we were on the road Monday through Thursday and only having time to spend with the family, you know, f- Friday, Saturday, Sunday has totally, you know, uh, taken a, a long, gone a long way in helping us with that mental health and, you know, the fact that we're spending more time with the family, you know, everyone's happy um, that they're mm. you know, that they get to see us more often. Wonderful. You know, yeah, I, I think yeah, you're right. For all of us, uh, that that has been the case to to a lot of people. When I speak, of course, there are quite a lot of things that, as you said, uh, which are which are very disruptive, which are very disturbing, and then we are still getting used to that, but. This particular piece about spending a lot of time with the families, uh, that's a huge plus factor in the in this whole episode. So I think that's a good thing that's happening. Absolutely. Uh, I would not yeah. complain so at let's... all. <laughs> yes. So uh, probably now we will all complain if our company says, okay, now you had to come back and uh, probably we'll start uh, whining. Anyway, so changing some uh, gears. Who are the leaders that you admire and much more importantly, what qualities or attributes that you think makes a great leader? It's a really good question. Um, if you think about leadership, right? leadership has, has evolved um, in the new world, right? No longer are the days where you have a hierarchy, the top-down mm. approach, all that has gone out the window. Right, the new leadership norm. I don't know. I would highly encourage all your listeners, um, your community, to go and look up this video on YouTube. Is uh, David Market? Uh, I don't know if you've come across his uh, greatness. Uh, no. 
leadership um, just search david market on youtube and okay. it's a 24 minute episode on great uh, greatness and leadership it's it's an eye opener right he he is a, okay. he was a captain in the us naval forces and he talks about his experiences about how uh, captaining a submarine sh- uh, ship and he talks about how he changed the whole perception about you know very rigid naval you know leadership hierarchy to mm. a, you know to a, to a structure where he gave full control of decision making to his people so in effect mm. what he did was he created that many leaders in, you know in this team mm. right so it was no longer where the captain had to give the command and they would go and execute it say you tell mm. me what is the right thing to do right so it's mm. empowering the people to make them leaders i think it's is the the new leadership um, paradigm right very true very true and i was talking to a military colonel in india i mean he's a ex military colonel and that's one point that he said is that uh the top ranking military person might be going in and it might be only the lowest uh person they both are traveling but if there is a situation which incapacitates the top guy the lowest guy will take a man right he's not going to wait and say hey my ceo has not given me any orders so on and so forth he's not going to wait for somebody to tell that this is what you have to do he takes command and then he That's exactly i think right. that is something that yeah i think that is something that the companies will have to see how that can be executed you know and, that, that is implement. a huge uh, focus now for joseph that the point that the point that we're talking about is how how do yeah. organizations pivot from the old ways of thinking about leadership and hierarchy Mm. to new ways of working right creating those leaders mm. within the organization so anybody at any point in time should be able to take the yes. same decision that a ceo is able to take right so mm. everybody has the same data points everybody should be empowered to make that same decision if if it was a ceo making a decision right so that's the mm. mind shift that organizations are thinking and acting towards how do we make it happen right so that's a huge mm. uh, shift that's happening right now in many many organizations globally yeah and it's also a, a difficult shift because it's not i mean one thing is making the management the executives realize that but it's also about making that thought process change in the employees also because the employees are also for a very long time they have been trained That's to right. okay you tell me i will do absolutely it, right so one of the thing that i say in my organization is or rather the two things that i say is that one is that you are at the field you are closer to the problem so you will know what to do right at that particular point in time i am far away i am in an ac chair sitting far away i may not know what to right. do but you will know what to do right the other point is think of everything that will go right and go do it but as an executive my job is to think of everything that can go wrong and prevent it from right. happening so i think both will have to come together and it's a it's a it's going to be a new way of leadership 
and it's going to be a joint leadership collaborative leadership Absolutely. rather than hierarchical uh, leadership yeah. and it's going to be interesting to be part of that particular journey uh, absolutely and i think uh, you know once that uh, shift happens right both ways i think organizations mm-hmm. start trending towards enterprise agility is truly when mm. they you know become an agile from an enterprise level right so at the enterprise at the level. enterprise level and that's when you would see a lot more companies being a lot more successful being nimble being able to react to market forces a lot more quicker than other companies where they have a very rigid you know way of working yeah as we speak i'm thinking maybe we should have another episode only about leadership absolutely what are the changes in the enter- totally. and enterprise agility and uh, we have to have that okay uh, mohan you have been part of this gravitas course i have been discussing with you from day one and you have shaped the gravitas wins course in one way or the other and you have also been part of this as a, you have taken the course as well and you are also in the community what do you like about the course what do you like about the community so i'll tell you a couple of things um, for me when i first saw your uh, course content and you were you know beginning to start the course one thing that stood out for me were like black and white right uh, is the simplicity the simplicity mm. of the concepts now putting a concept across in a simplistic fashion is not easy right there's years mm. and years of hard work and experience and bloodshed and tears and sweat have gone to it right to come up with a framework mm. that's simple enough for people to consume right so the mm. when people first see a very simple framework they think ah this is simple it's simple because the hard work has gone behind it to create the framework mm. that's very simple easy to digest that's what that's mm. one of the things that i really like about your courses you are able to put those concepts and frameworks across in a very very simple easy to consume fashion but it has got a lot of depth behind it right mm. if you start mm. double clicking mm. on your simple frameworks there's a whole lot of information that comes up right but at the mm. at the onset it looks very simple and it doesn't scare people away that's what mm. i really mm. like about your gravitas wind course the way you have shaped your different sections and the different outcomes you know it's very yeah. it's very easy for people to start understanding and then the double clicks happen and then they're able to follow through those double clicks Whereas if you put mm, forward a okay. very complex framework or structure in front of them, you lose them in the very beginning. So I mm. like that about the course, okay. the way you gradually lead your uh, your practitioners through that journey is absolutely fascinating. So uh, kudos to you for having put together a course that really, really gets people you know excited and motivated. The other personally, what I got a uh, uh, out of the many things i got uh, the one thing that stands out is that digital brain concept that i would i would mm-hmm. never ever forget in my entire life right no matter what i do mm-hmm. even after retirement i think that thing will stay on in my mind is that how do you create that digital brain um i think 
think that mm-hmm. was another fascinating concept. Uh, of course, the the Vince flywheel is something that I absolutely truly love, and I think makes perfect sense. And you know the way you uh, structured the flywheel, the Vince flywheel is is phenomenal. I think a lot of hard work, years of experience has gone behind it. So kudos. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for noticing it. I think only a management consultant will be able to appreciate those frameworks, the hard work behind that simplicity that comes on the slide. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, A couple of uh, last questions. What's the definition of a good life? Living a good life. See, uh, for me, living a good life, you know, there are a couple of a couple of things. And I think I came across this uh, this one quote. I, I don't know who the author of this quote was, but it goes like this, right? A good life is when you assume nothing, do more, need less, smile often, dream big, laugh a mm. lot, and realize how blessed you are. I think that wow. one statement sums it up, right? For me, what a good life should be, right? And and I may not be doing all of those, but I think that's one um you know, statement that really shook me to say, if I did all of this, I truly, you know, can can lead a happy life, right? I don't have to make the most money or, uh, you know, make the, have the biggest house or the, the fanciest cars. But if I do all of these, you know, the happiness, that joy that I get out of working day in and day out, uh, I think truly, I would say, I may have achieved something. And also there's a, there's a verse in the Bible, if I may quote, Second uh, Timothy four seven. It said, "I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the mm. faith." Right. So it's it's about doing all the things right, being true to yourself, being authentic, mm. right, having integrity in what you do. I, I think all of that. I think at the end of the day is what truly uh, creates happiness in one's um, personal life. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing both of that. Uh... Very true, very true. That that makes the life very yeah. good, and it is not just the uh, it's not just the destination, but as you said, like I mean, it's not the, the house that we live, the destination, yeah. the cars that we drive, the destination again, but it is the way that we acquired it, the way that we journeyed, the people we uh, who came along right. with us, the people with whom we did the journey, that makes the life really uh, great and enjoyable. Uh, what's the kindest thing somebody has done for you? It's uh, it's funny. There are, uh, there are a lot of people who have done many good good things for me, um, but I would say the kindest thing, as funny as it sounds, is actually very true. It's really my wife agreeing to marrying me. It's probably one, the most kindest thing <laughs> that she has done, uh, that anyone has done for me. And also that we had our son Samuel, our youngest one. You know, she, she you know. I think she went through a lot. Um, it was a very delay, you know, pregnancy, late pregnancy. But I, I think she, you know, she's done fabulous things in life. The many things she's done in life, but the fact that she agreed to marry me and, you know, I go through all that pain to have our son Samuel, I think is no, nothing can beat that. <laughs> uh, I yeah yeah. Uh, I think. I can ascertain to like I mean, our own wives, like my wife, uh, very true. Uh, 
that's probably the kindest thing now that you say it we don't think about it in that particular fashion but that's very right. true like now to have our babies uh they go to the edge of death and come Absolutely. back uh, why why would somebody do that for <laughs> yeah. us right so so for us uh that's probably i mean uh the kindest thing that can do where can people find you online so people can find me on linkedin um they can look me up on linkedin mohan matthew uh, that's the, probably the most easiest way and i highly encourage people to reach out to me you can send me a message uh and absolutely try and connect with them it's, uh i love connecting with people i love coaching people uh, helping people just like you know not to the extent that you do because you are you're always the zen level that i aspire for for <laughs> with you know in small ways that i can help right people um i always look forward to that thank you mohan for uh, taking the time even during your vacation to talk to me and uh, i really appreciate whatever that you have said to us yeah, thank, thank you, you joseph and thanks for having me and i wish you all success for the gravitas wins community i think it's a fabulous community i i truly enjoy looking at all the various uh, uh you know people who are part of the community i you get to learn a lot from each other because they all come from various different backgrounds and everyone brings a very unique perspective right very unique perspective towards life towards careers towards jobs um so it's it's fabulous that how that community is building and growing and absolutely love to be part of that community going forward i hope you have enjoyed the conversation with i had with mohan as much as i did uh connect with mohan on linkedin as he said ask him questions he loves to help and he can get on a call with you and he can clarify as many doubts as you can and i have done that and that's how i have built gravitas wins course so again a double thank you for that as well mohan and as we spoke please check out the executive coaching program that i run which is gravitas wins and finally don't forget to subscribe to this channel thank you and have a life of wins <music>